Welcome to my series of podcasts about the stories of the Tudors. My name's Tony Riches and I'm a historical fiction author from Pembrokeshire in Wales and a specialist in the history of the Tudors. In this podcast I'll be looking at the life of Catherine Parr, the sixth and last wife of Henry VIII. She's popularly known as the wife who survived, but why did Henry choose her and how did she feel about becoming his queen? Although her story lacks the tragic romance of Anne Boleyn or the scandal of Catherine Howard or even the politics surrounding the life of Anne of Cleves, I hope to show that Catherine Parr was the cleverest of Henry VIII's six wives. And historian Elizabeth Norton in her book on Catherine Parr says, The woman who would become the sixth and last queen of Henry VIII was born into a prominent but not royal family. And during her childhood, Catherine can never have dreamt of the future that lay in store for her. Catherine Parr was born in the summer of 1512 and was the eldest surviving daughter of Sir Thomas Parr, a descendant of Edward III and an ambassador for Henry VIII. Her mother, Lady Maud, had been a lady-in-waiting to Henry's first wife, Catherine of Aragon, and was chosen to accompany her on the prestigious Field of the Cloth of Gold in France. She named her daughter Catherine after the Queen. Catherine's father died when she was five years old, so her education was left to her mother, who helped her to become fluent in Latin, French and Italian, and began making plans for her daughter's marriage from the age of 11. Catherine married Sir Edward Burke, son of Sir Thomas Burke of Lincolnshire, when she was 17. Historians have speculated this is where Catherine's first developed her interest in religious reform, as although her mother was a religious conservative and, of course, a friend of Catherine of Aragon, Sir Thomas was a radical reformer and a supporter of Henry VIII's divorce. He later became Anne Boleyn's chamberlain and a vocal opponent of the rebellion known as the Pilgrimage of Grace. Sadly, Catherine's first marriage was short-lived because Edward died of unknown causes in the spring of 1533 in his early 20s, leaving Catherine widowed before she was 21. Her mother had died two years earlier, and her brother William served in the household of Henry VIII's illegitimate son, Henry Fitzroy, Duke of Richmond, and her sister Anne was in the service of Queen Anne Boleyn, so there was no family home for Catherine to return to. It's thought Catherine went to live with her cousin, Sir Walter Strickland's widow, Lady Catherine Neville, at Sizer Castle in Kendal. As a widow with no parents, Catherine was finally able to choose her own husband and married her second husband, Sir John Neville, Baron Latimer of Snape, North Yorkshire, two years later in the summer of 1534. He's always seemed to me an unlikely choice for Catherine. He was 40 years old, so nearly twice Catherine's age, although that wasn't unusual for the time. Sir John didn't like to travel and um, much preferred to stay in the north and to go to court in London. He'd been married twice before and he had a son, John, aged 13, and a, a younger daughter called Margaret, 
who became like a, a daughter to Catherine. And they were settling down to their new life when the whole of the north of England suffered this great rebellion of, and civil war looked like it was imminent. Catherine and her stepchildren were held hostage by an angry crowd of rebels who threatened to burn down her home during what was known as the Pilgrimage of Grace. But although Snape Castle was ransacked, and it must have been terrifying for them, it seems Catherine and the children were threatened but not actually harmed. And the rebels forced her husband to join them, which enabled Sir John to ensure the safety of his wife and children. He was lucky to escape repercussions, as it's entirely possible that his sympathies were with the rebels and he'd hoped that they would succeed. But fortunately for him and the family, uh, he had the support of Thomas Cromwell and also Thomas Howard, Duke of Norfolk, who between them managed to persuade King Henry that um, he'd been forced to join the rebels under duress. Very hard to prove different, I suppose. Anyway, he died in March 1543. So by the age of 31, Catherine had been widowed twice and became a companion to Princess Mary, who was then simply known as the Lady Mary because she'd been disinherited. It was at about this time that Catherine fell in love with Sir Thomas Seymour, the brother of the former Queen Jane Seymour, about four years older than Catherine, one of the most eligible bachelors in England and ambitious with a questionable reputation. Tom Seymour was handsome and could be charming when he wanted to. He was a very different man from either of Catherine's previous husbands. He'd been sent to greet Anna of Cleves at Calais and was also a skilled jouster at King Henry's tournaments. And it's interesting because as neither of them had much of a fortune, it seems Catherine and Thomas were in love, but the king surprised them both by sending him away as ambassador to the Low Countries. And of course the problem was that Catherine had caught the attention of the overweight and prematurely ageing Henry VIII. Um, and he'd actually passed a law that uh, only a virgin could marry the king. And of course one way out of that was if he married a widow. But um, Elizabeth Norton describes Catherine as the most reluctant of all of Henry's wives, possibly offering to become his mistress rather than submit herself to the dangers of becoming Henry's queen. And this seems to have only increased Henry's enthusiasm for the young widow, and Catherine was forced to abandon her lover, and on the 12th of July, 1543, Catherine Parr became the sixth and final wife of King Henry VIII in a small ceremony at Hampton Court Palace. It seems Catherine was Henry's choice, as there's no evidence of any faction pushing the recently widowed Catherine into the king's presence. And this is significant because his other wives always had somebody behind the scenes, the Howards, the Berlins, and of course the Seymours and Thomas Cromwell. They'd all encouraged Henry for their own agendas. And although Catherine was reluctant to be queen, she made the role a success, providing Henry with a domestic tranquility and a comfortable 
routine he hadn't known since the early days of his first marriage. For Henry, Catherine was a satisfactory choice, but he never seemed to stop considering the possibilities. Uh, there were rumours that he might recall Anna of Cleves to court and that he was interested in Catherine's best friend, uh, who was Charles Brandon's young widow, Catherine Willoughby. The belief that Catherine Parr was merely a nursemaid to the ageing and ill King Henry is something of a myth, because, of course, Catherine was an intelligent woman and Henry even trusted her to act as his regent while he was in France in 1544. Her achievements as Queen included persuading Henry to pass an act giving his daughters the right of succession to the throne, but a dark shadow loomed on her horizon. Catherine's influence over Henry was resented by some at court, and there was a conspiracy to remove her from power. Catherine had become drawn to reform, uh, moving beyond the Lutheran position of most reformers at Henry's court towards Calvinism, and she wrote various prayers, including one for men to say on entering into battle, that was probably created for Henry's French campaign in 1544. She also helped translate Bishop Fisher of Rochester's Psalms and Prayers, taken out of Holy Scripture, and that work was published in 1544 by the King's own printer. And the first publication of her own creation was Prayers or Meditations in 1545. Not content with translation and writing, Catherine began to involve herself directly in religious matters and she intervened in a case brought to the court of the alderman in London in which the widow of one of her servants was charged with heretical opinions and printing radical books. Unfortunately, um, Catherine's involvement only helped her enemies and the conservative faction at court led by um, Stephen Gardner, Bishop of Winchester, were determined to keep Henry from the clutches of the Protestants. And as the king grew older, he also grew more paranoid and the Conservatives uh, just simply needed a way to remove his reformist queen. And Catherine played into their hands by arguing too vigorously with Henry in early 1546. It seems he had grown tired of her preaching to him and it said that he complained to Gardner that um, it was a good hearing when women became such clerks and a thing much to my comfort to come in my old days to be taught by my wife. Gardner saw his chance and asked for Henry's permission to investigate Catherine for heresy. Investigations were made into some of the younger men at court who were accused of disputing indiscreetly of scripture during discussions in the Queen's private household. This investigation soon centred around Catherine's relationship with a young Lincolnshire woman, Anne Askew. Now, Anne Askew was about 24 and um, her husband had cast her out. She'd made her way to London because she was becoming notorious for her evangelical faith. She was charged and arraigned for heresy but they had to release her due to lack of witnesses that were prepared to testify against her. And she continued to campaign for 
reform and was arraigned again for heresy in June 1546. The ladies of Queen Catherine's household, including Anne, Countess of Hertford, Lady Catherine Willoughby, Duchess of Suffolk, and Joan Champernoun, Lady Denny, they were all suspected of supporting Anne Askew by um, providing her with supplies of food and reading materials while she was in the tower. Poor Anne Askew was tortured on the rack, much to the horror of the um, Tudor court, uh, where that sort of thing was unknown. And the Lord Chancellor Thomas Rothesley and Sir Richard Rich actively tried to force her to incriminate the Queen. Anne Askew defied them all. Uh, they'd underestimated her because she refused to incriminate anyone else, even as they broke her bones. And sadly, she was burned at the stake at Smithfield on the 16th of July, 1546, and had to be carried to execution in a chair, wearing only her shift as she couldn't walk. Those who saw her execution were impressed by her bravery, maintaining her religion to the end. And of course, she's become... uh, a famous martyr to the cause. Undaunted, Bishop Gardner told Henry that the king was cherishing a viper in his bosom and that he would provide proof of Catherine's heresy. Henry agreed that the queen could be arrested and investigated. But somehow Catherine heard what was about to happen and it's thought that Henry himself wished her to know. And so she fell into a state of panic and when Henry heard this um, he comforted her and the next day Catherine visited Henry saying uh, she was only a silly poor woman so much inferior in all respects of nature who desired to learn from her husband. Uh, Those were exactly the right words to use because Henry was clearly fond of Catherine and wanted the domestic peace she had brought to his family to continue. So he decided to give her the benefit of the doubt, declaring that they were perfect friends again. Catherine is remembered as the wife who survived, but without a strength of character, it could have all been very different. When she was told um, that the king had ordered her arrest, of course, she managed to find a way into becoming his own sweetheart. And it must have been quite a relief for her when Catherine heard that Henry had finally died in January 1547. Of course, she caused a scandal by marrying uh, Thomas Seymour only months after the king's death. And uh, she became a guardian to Princess Elizabeth and Lady Jane Grey and moved to her house in Chelsea and both girls uh, lived with them and Thomas and of course there was this scandal involving a, an alleged an actual relationship of some kind between Thomas Seymour and Princess Elizabeth uh, there are witnesses and Elizabeth was sent away from the family home um, of course that was all very upsetting and in November 1547, nine months after Henry VIII's death and the accession of her Protestant stepson, um, Catherine published a second book, The Lamentation of a Sinner, with support of her friends Catherine Willoughby and William Cecil. 
who are both mentioned in the frontispiece, which was written by William Cecil. Although Catherine wrote in the first person and recounted her own religious experience, the little book was strongly anti-Catholic and referred to papal riffraff and the insistence that all people be able to read the Bible in English for themselves. She argued that the Reformation urged Christians to look to themselves rather than to judge others. And it was a hot summer's day with London suffering drought and a plague when Catherine gave birth to her first child, a daughter, Mary, on the 30th of August, 1548. Sadly, she succumbed to a fever and um, in her last moments of consciousness, she accused her husband Thomas of poisoning her. Catherine lingered on for five days, um, becoming increasingly delirious, and died in the early hours of Wednesday, the 5th of September, 1548, aged only 36. Catherine was buried with very little ceremony, especially for a woman who had been Queen of England on the 7th of September, 1548. The only English queen to be buried on private land and she had no funeral effigy, no procession or mourners and the only notable aspect of her funeral were that Miles Coverdale preached the sermon and Lady Jane Grey served as chief mourner. Catherine Parr rests in peace in the heart of the chapel at Sudley Castle. Although her tomb was lost during the Civil War when the castle was destroyed and it was only rediscovered in May 1782 by a group of lady sightseers exploring the ruined chapel and it's reported that a Mr John Lucas who occupied the land where the ruins of the chapel stood opened the top of the coffin and discovered Catherine's body wrapped in cerecloths of linen entire and uncorrupted although it had lain there upwards of 230 years. Lucas cut off a few locks of Catherine's hair and a piece of the cerecloth and took a tooth which is now in the Sudley Museum. But Queen Catherine now rests in the finest tomb of any of Henry's wives, a magnificent canopied tomb with a white marble effigy of the Queen made in 1863. Thomas Seymour was executed for treason a year after Catherine's death on the 20th of March 1549 and her young daughter was placed in the care of her friend Catherine Willoughby, Duchess of Suffolk. Mary Seymour is believed to have died in early childhood as there are no records of her after the age of two. You can read my theory about what happened to the child in my book Catherine Tudor Duchess. Catherine Parr is often portrayed as matronly and dutiful, but in fact she was sharp and questioning, particularly in regard of religion. She should be remembered for her achievements of reuniting Henry's children with their father and bringing them back to court. Princess Mary knew that Catherine's mother had been a good friend of her own mother, Catherine of Aragon. Prince Edward was young enough not to remember his own mother and wrote to Catherine as his most kind mother and most entirely beloved mother. And even the precocious Elizabeth uh, was won over by Catherine's warmth and intelligence and signed her letters 
your most obedient daughter. This reunification of the family wasn't just good for the children, it also presented a united front against Henry's opponents. And of course it paved the way for a very different future for the Tudor dynasty. For more information about Catherine Parr, I recommend Elizabeth Norton's excellent book, Catherine Parr, Wife, Widow, Mother, Survivor, The Story of the Last Queen of Henry VIII. And links to all my books can be found on my website at tonyriches.com. Thank you for listening.